Welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey where we talk with people who are trying to live their most fulfilling life, which often tends to be on a much different path than it started out on. Whether it was changing careers, getting laid off from a job which sparked their entrepreneurial journey, or breaking through the noise to answer their calling. All of these types of situations and more, but they wouldn't have gotten to where they're at today if they didn't get started. We talk about the why and the how of these getting started moments and the lessons learned along the way. I'm grateful to have you listening in along on this episode, so let's get it started. On this week's episode, I welcome in Hilary Seiler, who is a certified financial education coach, author, and speaker. Let me give you a brief background of Hilary, and then we'll jump in the episode. Hilary is a certified financial educator and coach who teaches people how to win with their money. She is a dynamic and versatile entrepreneur, speaker, author, and certified financial education coach who has spent the last 12 years in the financial literacy space developing curriculum and coaching programs. In 2016, Hillary launched a new financial education program through her first company, Siler FEC, for pro athletes, which is now in use by seven NFL teams and hundreds of athletes across the U.S. from all major sports. In early 2020, Hillary founded Financial Footwork, a financial education platform that coaches people through overcoming the stress and failures that stem from limited to no financial education. Using the athlete mindset, her program translates a strategy of winning at sports to winning with money. With hundreds of professional athletes and individuals helped through her program, Hillary is fueled by her desire to help consumers train their money like a pro athlete trains for success. On a mission to make financial resources easy to understand and available to everyone, Hillary and her team are constantly pushing the boundaries for making finance digestible and engaging. Hillary believes every single person should have access to financial resources so they can develop and grow wealth. Her engaging speaking style and ease when communicating personal finance is unparalleled. I hope you all enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Hillary. So without further ado, please welcome in Hillary Seiler. Hillary, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to chat with you about your journey a little bit and obviously some unique stuff you've done uh, throughout your life. So I really want to touch on some of that and hopefully that'll give some inspiration for folks lifting, uh, listening in. Um, I'll tell you what, let me let me start with, uh, yeah, I'm going to go more high level and I'm going to let you kind of choose the adventure here. Give me an idea because you've obviously had some different transitions in your life, some different things that you're doing now, probably you'd even consider you would have done 10 years ago, let's say. So can you share a turning point, uh, maybe it's one, maybe it's two, that you've had in your life that maybe got you on this new path uh, to where you are today? Anything you'd share that was eye-opening for you? Yeah, so I would say uh, my first turning point was at 19, and um, I was I had a pretty good life. Life was, life was pretty for me. I came from um, upper-middle-class America. I was very well taken care of. Um, college was going to be a breeze because I had a college savings account. My college was paid for life was really good. And then 19 hit and my mom got incredibly sick and the medical bills started rolling in. Um, and I went from being the happy go lucky college student taking 12 credits a quarter, not doing much of anything to mm-hmm. how the hell do I graduate in three years with as little student loan debt as possible while working full time. Mm-hmm. So that was my first life shift. Uh, and then the second one was when my mom passed. I was 26 years old, mm. seven years of battling a completely undiagnosable um, autoimmune disorder. Doctors just didn't have a clue what it was. 
and uh, going through the hardships of financial stress and family and emotional stress with an illness um, pushed me into where I'm at today, which is teaching financial education to people through two different companies mm-hmm. um, that I co- that I co-founded. Well, both of them I founded with two people that I know, love, and trust. And um, yeah, I, I would tell you at 19 what I have ever thought I could say I'm working with eight NFL teams. Absolutely not. <laughs> that would not have even crossed my mind. Um, so yeah, those were my two major turning points that uh, pushed me onto the path I'm on today. What were you going to do? If we went back to your 18-year-old self, what were you going to do for your life? What was going to be the... <laughs> well, um, I was going to figure out how to make money in the summers and have a great time in college. And then after that, there were really, I mean, for me, I went, well, I'm, I'm good at money. I got, was getting a finance degree. That's what I went to college for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had no idea what I was going to do. I, you know, I was just like, well, I'll kind of figure it out when it happens. Um, mm-hmm. cause I had had that kind of carefree lifestyle up until my mom got sick. And then it pivoted my point of view on the seriousness of life because up until that point, I had never really experienced any severity or any, um, turmoil mm-hmm. that would have triggered me to change my point of view. So as much as that was obviously a, a, a painful, you know, seven years, obviously that you went through it, I'm sure the, the years following, would you consider that a breakthrough moment? Like oh, absolutely. Ha- having that, like, if that doesn't happen, well, obviously, you know, that doesn't happen, but if it doesn't, like maybe it doesn't kick your mind in a different direction, you know, and, and you yeah. can kind of stay on that same path. Oh, I, I would say it was an absolute breakthrough moment. And there were things that happened during that seven years that pushed me where I am today, little things, things that as I look back, they added up to where I am today. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I was going through it, I never would have thought, oh yeah, that's, that's changing my point of view. That's changing where I'm going. That's changing my trajectory. I never would have thought, oh yeah, I never would have thought I would have had a conversation with somebody saying, oh, I own two companies. Mm -hmm. I run two businesses. If someone would have told me the 18 year old me that I probably would have laughed at him and been like, have a good day. Um, and, and part of that has a lot to do with the mindset shift that occurred when my mom got sick and the people that were in play in my life during that time. Mm. So there were some really key people in my life that got me on the trajectory of working with athletes. And it was by complete happenstance. There was no rhyme or reason. They just happened to be in my class. And I lived right next to a couple football players. I helped them with finance. They got drafted to the NFL And it was almost this perfect storm of events that led me to where I am today. But had my mom not been sick, none of those things would have fell into place. Wow. Yeah. How important, well, and maybe, maybe let me ask in a different way, because obviously you, you know, went to college from a finance standpoint, that's something you're involved actively with now. Was that a part of your upbringing where you taught about money and maybe it's saving, investing, like all that type of stuff. Cause I know I wasn't at all. And I got a ton of debt, credit card debt and student loans, all this stuff. And I know a lot of folks go through that. So was that something that, you know, maybe was part of that upbringing that you actually had conversations about with your family? Every single night at the dinner table, we were talking about something to do with finance, business ideas. Um, my mom was a big proponent of talk about ideas, not people. And my dad was very, um, my dad grew up very, very poor. And my mom grew up very, very wealthy. And so when they met in college, um, my dad was aspiring to build wealth. 
and my mom had lived wealthy most of her life. Uh, not that she'd gotten all the things she wanted, don't get me wrong, my grandfather was very, by the book, he was gonna make her earn the value of a dollar. Mm -hmm. But my mom didn't know any type of poverty, whereas my father, I wouldn't say was um, in poverty, but his family definitely was lower class. They didn't have a lot of money. He earned every penny he got. And that transitioned me growing up into understanding the value of a dollar. I was, I'll never forget it. I was 15 years old and I told my, I loved cars. Now I grew up in a time when Fast and the Furious was a big deal. I was in college right when that movie came out. Oh yeah, out. me too. Yeah, me too. School. I'm sorry. I was in, I was in <laughs> 2001, college. 2001, I was in high school and I really wanted a Fast and the Furious car. And um, my dad said, well, you have a job. So I'll match you 50-50 on the car that you want to buy. And he said, but you're going to pay your insurance and you're going to pay your gas. And there's a caveat to you getting a car. You have to maintain a 3.75 GPA. Otherwise, you have to go play three sports. I'm taking the car and you're not going to work anymore. Because work for me was a luxury. I wanted to work. I did not want to play sports. Now, I was an athlete, but didn't want to do three sports. So we negotiated. We negotiated how I was going to get my money. And then, um, and I didn't realize that was what hap was happening when I was 14, but then 14, 15. But when I turned 18, I had all those contracts in place with my pops. And my mom, of course, just, she's like, hey, if you don't hit the goals, I'm taking everything from you. And so that was one of those things where I learned the value of a dollar simply because I had to buy my own gas. I had to pay my own insurance. I had to pay the maintenance on my car and I was working a job. So I was learning all those things. Now, I grew up lucky in the sense that had my car broken down or I busted it up, my dad probably would have fixed it for me. Luckily for me, that never happened. Um, but the shift occurred and the feeling of not having money occurred when I was 19. I had never felt into that point in my life that I could not somehow obtain money. And at 19, all of that shifted when money was going out faster than it was coming in by thousands of dollars because medical bills, as we all know, are not cheap. Uh, so money's always been a topic of conversation. And my dad was always very transparent about what was happening with the medical bills. He didn't hide that from us. Mm -hmm. So my brother and I knew what, what was happening. And when you see five figures on one hospital bill, it it's gut-wrenching um, and it's life-changing. Mm -hmm. When you got out of college, was, was the goal, because you talked about, you know, not even thinking you'd ever own two businesses, was the goal when you got out of college of, I'm just going to go work for a company. I'm going to kind of ease into it. Let's, let's kind of make a few dollars. Like what was the, what was the few years after college? Like, Oh, absolutely. I came out of college at the height of the recession in 2009. There was no job. There were jobs didn't exist. Um, I had two potential opportunities and I ended up, I actually landed at enterprise rent a car. I was making $29,000 a year working 60 plus hours a week. The schedule sucked. Um, and all I could think about was if I can work as much overtime as possible, I can make enough money to help my family. And, um, there were incentives that enterprise gave to, if you sold a car, if you did this, if you did that. So I took advantage of every benefit that they had. And I ended up making about 37,000 my first year out of college, which to me was brilliant. Cause I didn't have to pay rent. I was just paying my student loans down and giving everything I could to my family. Um, but in my mind, it wasn't go build wealth. It was, how do I collect that next paycheck? Because I didn't understand the concept of building something on my own that might take me a little while to see a return, but could yield higher returns. Uh, so my, I was just like, how do I make money? That was my mindset going out of college. And that shifted about nine months out of, out of college. That's when I said, wait a minute, I'm working a lot harder for someone else. I could be putting this much effort in for myself and enjoy it more. 
do you remember how it shifted? Were there any specifics you'd, you'd be willing to share? Yeah. Um, look, Enterprise, amazing company. I actually, I learned a lot while I was there, but they don't pay daily shit. Excuse my language. Sorry. They don't pay a lot. <laughs> um, and it, and it's, nor should they, because the job that you're learning is very entry level. And in that, I realized I had a set of skills in the finance world and in the public speaking world that I wasn't utilizing. And as I was um, meeting each of the clients that we help into a car, I mean, honestly, you're talking to five, 10, 20, 30 people a day. I realized my communication skills were actually pretty good. And I went, oh, I never really thought about developing those more. And so as I'm talking to some of these executives that are renting cars with me that I see every week at the airport because they're coming in for business, I started realizing there, there is a bigger world out there and I wasn't tapping into it. So then I started asking questions. And I would I there was um, a VP of a cruise liner that would always rent from us. And so I started asking him, what do you look for when you're hiring somebody in a higher level capacity? And I started just asking questions. And the answers that I got propelled me to say, okay, I don't want to work at Enterprise anymore. There's something bigger for me, but I need to go get experience because I'm only 22 and I, I don't have a resume yet. Um, where am I going to go get the experience for the public speaking that I want to do? It was at a bank. So I started applying at banks and I wanted to learn the banking system so that I could teach other people about it because I had a passion for finance and I had a passion for not having any money. I wanted to help people. So I put everything together that I was thinking about. And I said, how do I make a living off of this? And now we are 12 years later and I make a living off of teaching financial wellness to athletes and consumers. So I took all of the pieces of the things I enjoyed and was good at and found a way to put them together. Took me a while, took me a long time to figure out what I loved. But once I figured it out and asked the right questions, it all came together. Well, and I think that's a good point to underscore is it takes time. This is not an, an overnight thing. You didn't start a business right at college and all of a sudden it blew up. Like there was a lot of steps and progression and, and obviously heartache and tragedy and, and stuff like that thrown in. Um, when, when did the idea of wanting to start a business and maybe it wasn't even this business you're doing now, maybe it could have been something else. I don't know. But when did the idea of starting your own business and then actually taking action, doing it, what was the time period between there? Like, was it weeks, months, years? Years. It was years. Uh, great question. So I, um, thought about it in college. I thought about starting a business in college because I was working with athletes and I loved it. And I thought, wow, how cool would it be if I could create a business that I run around helping the people that I love? For me, it was, it was a college idea, but that's all it was. Mm -hmm. I never manifested that idea or looked past it. It's just, you know, fleeting moment. It would go in and out of my brain. And as time went on, and I started realizing what I wanted to do, that I needed the experience to get me there. I started doing all of the things that would allow me to start a business. So I started working for a bank in 2010. And I then started speaking for nonprofits. And then I started working with Fortune 500 companies and providing financial literacy for their employees while working at a bank. And then, so what I did was I built the resume knowing that I wasn't quite to a point where I could start a business but that it was kind of off in the distance. And then once I actually got about five years of experience and speaking under my belt, and I mind you've been a public speaker all through high school and college. So my, my background came from finance and then I was a speaker. Um, what were you speaking? If I don't, if you don't mind me interjecting, what, what were you speaking on like in high school and college? 
I was an extemporaneous speaker in high school. So I was a speech and debate nerd, go team. Um, and extemporaneous speaking is they will give you a topic. You have 30 minutes to prepare six cited sources and an argument as to why that topic is good or bad. So typically it was around politics or it was around, at, at that point I was in high school, 9-11 and just happened. So as you can imagine, a lot of my extemporaneous speaking was around politics, 9-11 and um, the war in Afghanistan and Iraq. And so what I would have to do was find sources, which I carried with me in a massive box. I would do all this research all week long, put them in, and then I would go and cite them. And I'd have to memorize those sources, quote them back to the people I was presenting to and give a valid seven minute argument as to why I was correct on the topic. And so it taught me very quickly how to be an impromptu speaker on my toes while being able to cite valid sources. Um, and so that's where I started and I did that all through high school. In college, I got a little lazy and didn't do a lot of it until my junior year. And then I started um, I started speaking as I could, but I didn't join the speech team at Oregon State. I just, you know, I was doing, I was doing free seminars as people needed them because I enjoyed it. I really loved it. And then after that, it was like, oh, wait a minute something I enjoy. Why am I not getting paid for this? Yeah. And that's what led me to put two and two together with all of the things that I liked and create something that is of value to people. People actually need it and want it. This is a question that comes up a lot here. I remember, um, uh, I, well, Seth Godin, I know talked about this a lot is like, you know, his first hundred, you know, speak engagements, he didn't get paid for it, did for free kind of thing. When did, when did you like realize, okay, I got to ask to get paid. And then like, when did you have the courage to say, all right, screw it. I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them it's this much for, and see if they'll accept, like, what was that period of asking the first time to, to get paid for a gig? Oh, good question. I kind of have to dig back. Um, I think my first paid gig, honestly, was with the Miami Dolphins. Um, hmm. Prior to that, it had all been nonprofit work. Oh, no, sorry. Nope. Got to go back even further than that. Uh, 2014 Project Clean Slate, Oregon. I helped transition people coming out of prison into real life, get your finances in order so that they can become contributing members of society. And mm -hmm. I uh, put together the financial literacy program for Project Clean Slate in 2011, and I headed it up for four years. And they paid me $100 a year <laughs> to do that. Uh, it, was, it was my community contribution. Um, but yes, I got, I got paid $100 for that. Now, I wouldn't say that's a lot of money to build an entire financial uh, financial literacy curriculum for 12 months, but um, the Miami Dolphins was the first time I actually physically said, here's my fee, and this is what I'm going to charge. And we negotiated, as I knew we would, uh, and we landed on a good number, and to this day, it's, uh, it continues to go up. Hmm. Well, let's, let's transition a little bit, because I'm curious on what your thoughts are. You obviously work with a lot of athletes um, but you know, a variety of other folks as well. What did you find is the biggest hurdle they get, especially, obviously a lot of the athletes are getting a tremendous amount of money, you know, going from cat. Well, now it's changing because college athletes can make money, but that's, we won't get to that on this. On this <laughs> that's, a whole other topic. that's another topic, but whenever they're getting their first influx of dollars, maybe that they didn't have growing up or what have you. Right. Um, what are some of the, I guess, anxieties, fears that they have? And then what are some of the things that maybe help folks get over that? Yeah, I think fear with money is probably one of the biggest driving factors for all of us. It doesn't matter if you're making $10,000 a year or $10 million a year. The way that we think about money is how we choose to spend it and how we choose to control our financial lives. 
So for athletes, I would say because they come into a big sum of money rather quickly at a very young age, their learning curve is steep. They have to figure it out really, really fast. And their errors are a lot more um, lifelong lasting than say mine, where I might get a credit card for a thousand bucks and blow a thousand dollars. And it's like, damn, it's going to take me six months to pay this off, but it's not a hundred thousand dollar mistake. Whereas athletes have larger mistakes faster in life simply because they have access to more credit. They have access to more money. Now, that being said, if you can't handle, I say, you'll hear me say this all the time. If you can't handle a thousand dollars, you can't handle a million dollars. Because it doesn't matter the dollar figure, it's how you choose to handle it. And fear is a driving factor for a lot of people. So we make emotional choices about how we use money and take this to a business. When you're starting a business and you're passionate about it, you make emotional choices because you're on an emotional high about how you should be spending money and you make mistakes. I've done it. I've done it building businesses. I've seen people do it building businesses because we make choices with our dollar Mm -hmm. based on how we feel not based on what we should actually be doing. So that kind of is my take on no matter who you are and who I work with, I work with people that make no money. I work with people that make millions of dollars. Almost everybody approaches money from their experience, how they were raised, and if they have a positive or negative relationship with money, and that determines how they actually use it. So I have wealthier clients that don't make as much money as NFL athletes, and they will end up retiring richer than some of my NFL athletes will even though they only make 50, 60,000 a year. Pretty remarkable stuff. Yeah. I mean, and I guess part of that comes down to understanding how to live maybe in your means, not overspend, invest, any navigational path you want to take us down on those maybe that are, if again, I think if someone's out there, because this happens a lot. I have a lot of folks I've talked with on this. This happened to me personally of like, I have a ton of debt. God, I've really got to pay that off. And I, I have a I have a hard time doing other things because if it costs a lot of money, am I missing out on the getting debt free? Because that was one of the goals. So eventually, I mean, it took me eight years to get debt free, but it was because some of the things I just mentioned, kind of as my salary went up, I didn't overspend. I actually lived at a lower means and you know, so stuff like that. So I'm curious if there's any encouragement you'd make to folks in a similar position that are like, I don't know what the hell to do. I I, want to get to a different spot, but I'm just lost. Yeah, first and foremost, congratulations on being debt-free because that's awesome. And people want to do that. So congratulations. (laughs) Thanks. It was a long, it was a long, uh, long haul um, for sure. But, but it was, but um, if I can interject that what it, I think you just kind of hit the nail um, on the head. It was, I had to change my mindset. I had to change my thoughts on money because again, growing up, it was just kind of like I saw my dad just spend all over the place. I was like, oh, yeah, I just get a credit card and I just spend on it. And then I pay it off eventually. Well, $18,000 a credit card later, that later, uh, that was not the case. So I had to learn the lessons the hard way and, and eventually just kind of flip the, uh, the switch, if you will. Um, so that, that was for me, at least that worked. But I would say that's for most people. Um, money is a mindset and it's a choice. And how you choose to use the money that you have is up to you. So you actually made a conscious choice based on what you just told me to pay down your debt. Mm -hmm. And that was the opportunity cost you chose. You chose that my debt pay down to me is more important right now than taking a trip to Europe and blowing four grand. Mm -hmm. You said, I'm going to do this so I have a better quality of life. You also mentioned 
that your income continued to go up slowly, but you didn't change your expense level. We call that lifestyle creep. As people earn more money, their expenses creep up to their level of earning. That's lifestyle creep. If you can reduce the lifestyle creep, you can increase your cash flow. Now, anyone that's in debt, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. I've worked with hundreds of people that have said, it's, I'm never going to get out of this. There's always a way. There's always a way to pay it down and do it the right way. It's a matter of where are you at, assessing where you're currently owing money, and then picking a debt pay down method. And there's a couple different ones out there. There is the traditional debt pay down method, which is start with the highest interest rate, pay that, and then go to the second highest interest rate, pay that. Mm-hmm. while making all your monthly minimums. The other, which is my personal favorite, because I see a lot of my clients succeed with it more, is the debt pay, the debt snowball method, yep. which is where you start with your smallest debt, pay that off first and knock it out. Then go to the next smallest and work your way up. Now, if you just have one credit card and it's got 18,000 on it, set a goal for yourself every month. How fast do you want to pay that off? If you have $250 extra a month to put towards that debt, do it. That's $250 you're not going to owe in the future. So it's all about making it work for you and setting a reasonable goal for yourself. Think about it in terms of a crash diet. You're not going to say, I'm cutting out all sugar. I'm not going to drink soda. I'm not going to eat meat. And you're a avid soda drinker. You eat a cake every night for dinner and you always have a steak on Sundays. Right. Not realistic. You are going to fail at that diet because you set yourself up for failure. Just like with a diet where you have to ease it in slowly and take away one thing at a time and work with it and another thing at a time and work with it, got to do the same thing with money. You can't just stop cold turkey. It'll never work. You've got to pick and choose your battles, knock it out, and then go to the next one. Yeah, because you'd mentioned I actually went the debt snowball route. I was very fortunate uh, that my brother gifted me Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover in 2009. And I wasn't hard headed to just use it to like prop up the desk. I actually read the thing, which I didn't read many books. So it was, uh, it was something, yeah, that, and it took, by the way, and I think to your point, we talked about this a little earlier with the, you know, it takes time. It wasn't right away. I didn't pay off everything exactly in the next few years. It took a while. And then slowly the momentum shifted again, as I started to make some more money. So it takes time. You just got to be invested in wanting to make that change, you know? Yes, that's exactly how I feel about it. And I think that I love that you read Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover. Um, I have a different view on credit than he does, but I think that having different views is beautiful because it gives people options. And where Dave Ramsey lives with zero debt, I like to leverage debt and get my points and my cash back and my travel perks and all the things because I use credit responsibly Mm -hmm. every single month. So that might be where we differ a bit, Uh, but in terms of how he shows you to pay down debt, one of the best methods out there and becoming debt-free to where you actually have the freedom to say, I'm going to spend a thousand dollars on my credit card this month. And I have the capacity to pay it off. It is a powerful thing Mm. because you're in control of your money and with anyone in any business line, whether they're an employee or a business owner, having control over your finances is a very powerful tool. Yeah. And I agree with you hundred percent. I, I take the method of having a, I have a actually I have a couple of credit cards because again, different points for different things, 
Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's just knowing that you paid off every month versus the alternative years ago was like kind of just paying the minimum. You don't so. just swipe the stripe and keep going. You have to actually look at the thing and pay it off. Yeah. But I think yeah. that is one of those things though, is utilizing credit to your advantage. The credit card companies are going to give you points, cash back, whatever. You might as well use it to your advantage. Um, yeah. So I, I fully agree with you there. We have to pay our bills. Why not get something for the stuff we have to pay for? Yeah, absolutely. Well, how did you get from the, my curiosity, just of how you got started from a business standpoint of actually put, like saying, hey, this is, I'm going to make this shift in my life. I'm going to actually start this business. I'm going to actually start charging customers. I'm going to actually start bringing in new clients to work with. Can you share just a little about that story? Maybe some of the the good, bad, ugly that you, that you had during that process or? Yeah, I was, I was new to starting a business and I had to feel it out and I had to research a lot, but I was lucky enough to have some good mentors in my corner, people that had been in business for 20 plus years. My father, of course, who works with huge corporations all the time. So he had a real good understanding of what I should and shouldn't be doing. Um, but for me, it was, how do I start it? So I went on to the irs.gov and figured out exactly what kind of business I wanted. And then I called my CPA and I said, can I do this? And he said, well, yeah, absolutely. So from that point forward, I had the logistics of physically setting up the business done. Then it came down to how do I actually make money on this? And that's where I started asking questions and talking to people that I looked up to within different niches. So performance development within the league. There are a lot of leadership coaches that are out there. I asked how they priced things. I asked to see their menu of services. Most of them said no, but I still asked. Um, and, and I pushed the boundaries on learning. And I think for me, that was the best part of getting started. Just get started. I had to learn. I couldn't just assume it was all going to fall into place. So asking questions, finding a good mentor, and then actually taking everything I learned and putting it into play. And that's what took me so long. So to kind of give you the backstory on that, yeah, you can logistically set up a business, but are you prepared to take all of the steps to actually make it profitable? And I had to learn how to do that because I didn't actually know how to do it. And then I, my negotiation skills weren't my problem. I could negotiate just about anything with my speech and debate background, but it was getting in front of the people to make the negotiations and then being able to have a solid platform to stand on to say, yes, I actually am worth this amount of money. Mm -hmm. And lucky for me, I'd gotten all of the credentials for the last seven years to make that statement so that I could, in essence, um, get what I needed out of that relationship with whoever I was speaking with. So for me, it was putting all my ducks in a row the right way and not jumping too far ahead. Had I not had a bunch of experience in speaking, I probably would have been three or four more years before I could start charging for anything. You mentioned you working with eight NFL teams now. Um, mm -hmm. Is I, I maybe that's a dumb question. I don't know, but like, is financial financial education and literacy actually consistent across the league? Like, do do all teams do this, or is, it, is your what you're doing with these teams an anomaly? Like here in 2021 They're required to do financial literacy education. Okay. Um, there is, every team has to provide it. There are just a couple providers that are approved currently through the NFL and we're one of them. And um, we're lucky enough to be one of those people, but all of our programs are a little different. So talking team to team, we do a little bit more than is what what's required by the league because the teams ask that of us. 
And um, there are certain things guys have to learn. They have to learn budgeting. They have to learn credit. They have to understand cash flow. And then they get a little bit of secondary training their second and third years in the league. We go way further than that. And I think that's why we've grown from one team to eight teams in the course of four years. Hmm. And that is something that a lot of people don't realize is it is mandated by the NFL that they do learn something about money. But what they have to learn and what the directors of player engagement for the teams want them to learn can sometimes be two different things. And the guys that bring us in really value the off-field training. They want their guys to succeed. And I think that's with anyone. Just like employers, we work with a lot of companies that provide our financial wellness training to their employees because they want their employees to live a fully successful financial life, both at work and away from work. Uh, And all of us want that. All of us want to know that our money is safe, that we're building wealth, and that we don't have to worry about it. Well, I mean, getting working with the NFL and these teams, I mean, that's like a product getting into the shelves of Walmart across the nation. I mean, that's a NFL is a pretty big animal, pretty big name. How did you yeah. get in, How did you get in with these teams? You mentioned you, you had some relationships, maybe, maybe it stems from college and, and some of the athletes you work with, I'm not sure, but how did you get those relationships? How did you get in the door? Trust of the people that referred me to the NFL. So there were some, some gentlemen that I knew that played in the league and um, I helped them in a couple of occasions, one with, ripping apart and building a business plan for one guy. I helped another guy get out of bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and when I say get out of bankruptcy, he didn't file bankruptcy and chose to pay off his debt, which I was really proud of him for. Uh, and he was an ex-player who played in the league for five years. And so they introduced me to some people within the league and said, hey, she's helped us. And uh, there was one gentleman out of Miami who gave me a shot and said, we'll see what you can do. I'm not going to pay you a lot, but we'll see what you can do. Mm-hmm. And he opened the door for me. Mm-hmm. And when he opened that door and... We worked with him for a year. Um, it's kind of spread like wildfire across the league, what we were doing and how we were doing it. And we were getting phone calls. We were still calling teams um, and we still do. We've got a lot of teams that we talk to that we're not currently working with that love what we do, but you know can't bring us in for X, Y, Z reason. That's with any company. Timing is also important and imperative. You have to have the right timing to bring the right people in. And uh, that was how I got started. It was all referral. It was my network. And I was lucky enough to have a pretty strong network just so happened they were NFL players. Well, I mean, that, I mean, it definitely kind of hits the point home of, I, and I'm assuming I could be wrong, but these NFL players, maybe they paid you a little bit. Maybe you did it pro bono, just kind of help, you know, you know, but uh, you're shaking your head. You did it for free. Basically. I did it for free. There was no but, cost involved for these guys. And I think that goes a long way of like, not that you have to give everything away for free, but you, you know, you were a go-giver, you were helping, you were, you wanted to see them succeed. And ultimately it ended up working in the future and helped you out. You, but that's yeah. not, was it your intention going in probably of like, Oh my God, this is going to lead. You didn't know. You just wanted to help. They so were, they were playing in the league when I didn't even know I wanted to start a company. Yeah. So that gives you kind of a, a idea of, I mean, there were seven years between them playing and well, five years between them playing and me actually doing something with that relationship. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, that's such a good point of like, just again, being a good person, wanting to give back as best you can help out. You don't know where that relationship's going to go, but you're doing it out of the kindness of your heart and, and ended up working out, which is awesome. So yeah. Um, what are y'all excited really about? Cool. Yeah. What are you excited about next? What are some of the, is there any cool things on the horizon that you're uh, excited to share maybe? Yeah, we uh, we just launched our 12-week boot camp program for Financial Footwork, which is my consumer company. And so we're focusing on really teaching people how to budget to the lifestyle that they want. 
and how to train their money like a pro athlete trains for success. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited to take all the methodologies that we use for pro athletes and give it to people who love sports and people that understand a workout program and how they can apply that to their money game. Um, that's one thing we're doing. And then NFL season's around the corner. So uh, COVID is not over, but we were not in any facilities last year. I didn't mm -hmm. travel at all. And I'm used to being on the road every week to a different training facility. And it looks like, fingers crossed, we will be in the facilities again. So starting in two weeks, I'll be on the road for the entire season. Wow. That's awesome. It'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be, yeah, that'll be great. I'm sure to, to get in the doors there and work with some folks. What if you had to go back, I'm always curious and, and it could be one piece of advice. It could be a quote, could be just some random insight you have, but if you had to go back to maybe it's someone that's a lot younger than you, that's getting started on their journey. It could be to starting a business, could be to financial freedom. You could take the, the lever you want and pull it. But what one piece of advice would you share that you've learned along the way that's been the most valuable? Get a really good mentor. If you want to start a business and you don't know where to start and you have an idea, but you don't know how to formulate it, A, Research, research, research. There's so much literature out there on starting a business or starting something. It doesn't even have to be a business. It can be anything you want to do. Starting a fitness routine, learning how to cook. I mean, you, you name it. There's a million pieces of literature on just how to get started. Um, and then find someone in your space that does it really well and learn how they've done it. Because there's no point, and as my mom used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, Right. If someone's already invented the wheel, there's no point in reinventing it. You can learn from what they've done and make it better, but you don't have to reinvent it. And so that is the best piece of advice. My mom was an entrepreneur. She owned multiple companies. She was always trying things new. And the way that she did it was she learned from some of the top people in the industry she was in and she made it work for her. She might change one or two things about her overall business model and her product may be completely different. But the way she goes about structuring her business modeled after some of the best people out there. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Find a way to make what you're trying to do modeled after what someone else has already done very successfully and then make it work for your lifestyle, your line of thought, your mindset. The mentors that you've had in your life, did you seek them out and like ask for their help or was it serendipity that kind of got you? How, how did you meet maybe some of your mentors? Um, my two mentors right now, I met them through work. So my business partner, Douglas, um, he is one of my mentors. He has been for a decade now. Um, I met him in while working at a bank and he just so happened to be in a management role. He was not my direct manager when I met him, but over time he ended up moving into a role of being a direct manager and now a business partner. Uh, so that was pretty simple for me to find. Now, mind you, before meeting him, I'd gone through several managers and none of them were at his level of leadership. Mm -hmm. So I was lucky enough to meet him. And then I actually asked him if he would partner with me. I went to him and said, here's my business plan. This is what I want to do. What are your thoughts? He gave me his thoughts. He was very candid and said, this is how you're going to succeed. And he helped me build something. Um, so that was one of my mentors. The other mentor, again, I met through professional athletics. He's a leadership development coach. And um, his tenacity, Ben Newman is his name. You can find him on Instagram under continued fight. And he is uh, probably one of the most focused people I've ever met. And I wouldn't say he's a direct mentor and that I talk to him every day, 
but I look at everything he posts every day. I've read all of his books and where his value add for me is, is the ability to not give up. Mm. And that motivates me. So I've found people and sought out information based on who I know I am and what I need to keep going. And that's what I found in mentors. And of course, I'm always looking at some of the top entrepreneurs in the world, male, female, I really don't care. If you've done something well, I'd love to see it. So I'm always researching who's doing what, who's moving and shaking um, and how they're doing it. Yeah, I think we have the advantage nowadays um, that we didn't back, you know, 20 years ago of the virtual mentors to be able to, even if we don't get to physically talk to them, you can kind of watch them from afar, from the shadows, if you will, and see their work and see what they're doing and and, and how they're crafting things and obviously help us to get to the next level as well. So Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you can glean a lot from social media and the internet and not all of it's accurate. So don't take everything, Fair. you know, face value, but dig a little deeper, see what works for you. Um, it's the beauty of being a business owner is you get to make it your own. Absolutely. Well, if everyone wants to say hello to you, See what's going on in your world. How could they? Uh, how could they connect? Yeah, uh, join us on Instagram. We're on um, at Financial Footwork. That is our handle. We're there all the time. We're always responding. We want to hear from you. We want to interact with you. And you can also find us online at financialfootwork.com. That is our website and has all of our crazy stuff, blogs, forums, the whole shebang. Awesome, Ellie. This was a, an absolute blast. I always love talking about again, finances and, and where you can do better with money, just because again, I've had that shift in my life. And I know it's so valuable for folks to, uh, to kind of lean into. So thank you so much for coming on and uh, sharing your journey a bit. Thank you so much for having me. But I hope you all enjoyed that great interview. And thanks again for stopping by. And just one more quick thing before you run along in your day. If you were looking for some more resources, some more insight, you know, inspiration, things that get you going a little bit further on your journey, feel free to head over to my website, brianondraco.com forward slash subscribe, and you can sign up for my weekly newsletter that comes out. That's more of a digest of a lot of information that I discover throughout the week, whether it's a new podcast I listen to, or maybe it's a great follow online that's very insightful or a video I came across. I put that in a digestible form that you get once a week as well as I blog three times a week. And these are very micro-type blogs, one to five-minute reads. They hit your inbox Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning and maybe give you a little dose of inspiration to get you going on your day. So feel free to sign up for those if it's something you might find as value. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week, and we'll talk to you soon. Take care. 